So we'll start with Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the of the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. God said, God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there were evening And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the next reading is from 2 Thessalonians, um, chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. And I've got that on page 838 in this Bible. So 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, starting from verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because... We do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers... Never tire of doing what is right. Well, I must say, it's a tough act to follow, having had Reverend Scott Donnellan up here and before him, former Rear Admiral Michael Van Balen. So we're just going to have to tone this down a little bit, friends, and uh, start to to relax. The best I can do is a a badge under here. There's no medal, so (laughs) kind of lowering the bar. This morning, um, 
we're continuing our series on wisdom, and this time it's the topic of work. And I can hear you sitting there thinking, ah, wonderful, I can't wait to hear about work, a talk on work, wonderful. Uh, And you'll be ready and roaring to go on Monday. But we'll see how we go. Um, I've been working very hard thinking about this, and hopefully we'll do some hard work listening as well. So let us come before our Lord in a time of prayer now, and think about wisdom and work. Let us pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this time this morning that we share together. We thank you that your word guides us uh, in life and we pray that you'd help us to understand uh, your will when it comes to our working lives. Uh, We pray that you'd help us to respond well to this challenge this morning and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you go balancing work? Uh, Do you ever find yourself with too much work? Or do you find yourself with too little? I was speaking to my daughter, Helen. She gave me permission to use this illustration earlier. Uh, After the HSC, she said that she found herself uh, in a little bit of a low, that she was sort of rattling around with a a little less structure now that the HSC had come and gone. She was finding that she had a little too little little work to put put a hand to the good news was that she came to the right person because uh, I had some, uh, had some work for her. So last uh, Thursday, Helen came up to the building site with me and borrowed some of my building clothes and helped to put some disgusting mastic on some timber and bang them down with lump hammers into the concrete ground. It was great. She had some structure to her life, a bit more work. And I asked her, she, th- she said it was pretty good. So I said, um, would you like to come again on Monday? Well, she, thought she, she said she'd get back to me on that one. She might have found that she got to the point where there's too much work at that point. Work is a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes it can feel very meaningful and worthwhile to do. And yet, at other times, it can be uncomfortable, can't it? With levels of responsibility that feel a bit much or a deadline to work to. Some aspects of work can be difficult or boring. And yet, other aspects of work can feel quite satisfying. Even in the same day, work can be both difficult and annoying, or at other times, even in the same day, quite rewarding. I can recall a time when my family was moving from Broken Hill to Port Macquarie. It was a long way to travel, I think around, uh, around a thousand kilometres. And the gentleman who was uh, moving our gear over, uh, a former AFL man, a, a big jockey, was right into the moving scene. Uh, he'd, he'd driven that thousand kilometres over, but by the time he got to Port Macquarie, he still had to unpack the entire truck. Well, I wasn't there to receive the goods, so I asked my dad, how did he do? Was he a good removalist? Well, Dad said, well, he was grumpy at first, but he cheered up a bit later, but that was after he'd got the job done. And I thought, well, that's very human, isn't it? It's one thing to, you know, ahead of work, feel pretty average, but then having completed the job, the job's done and the money's in his bank account. So he's, he's cheered up. He's feeling much better. I could, I could relate to that. Even in the same day, work can be difficult and annoying, but also deeply satisfying. Maybe deeply satisfying is an overstatement, but it can be pretty satisfying. Finding the right balance in work can be tricky too, can't it? Not enough paid work and there can be a strain on the family budget, particularly as we face high electricity prices. But too much work can cause problems 
like burnout and getting cynical about both the work that we do and possibly cynical about people in general. As the saying goes, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, this, well thank you, thank you. Uh, I don't know that there's too many Jacks here. Uh, but much of our waking lives are caught up in work, aren't they? Even if it's not paid work, uh, we can expend energy. Even if we're uh, bringing up children, for example, that can, that can be work, I must say. It can be a great deal of work with five kids. Um, but the point is that work doesn't always have to be paid. Uh, we can be looking after elderly people or those with special needs. Some work's done for the benefit of the community. It might be the uniform shop at school or it could be the canteen at the local soccer club. Plenty of our hours can be dedicated to work, whether it's paid or unpaid. And so it's good for us to reflect on God's word today, the wisdom from God's work, which talks to us about how we can glorify God in our work, whether it's energy expended, paid or unpaid. Well, we've been working through a series on Proverbs, so if you'd like to listen to a few Proverbs now, I think you'll find some of these encouraging. The Proverbs offer us guidance. Proverbs 6 verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When you get up, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Doesn't sound like the sluggard should be sleeping too long. Proverbs 14.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. 19 verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he will not even bring it back to his mouth. There's a picture of someone with potato chips on the left. <laughs> Finally, the sluggard does not plough in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. That's a good one, isn't it? Because... Uh, Harvest time comes and he still has a look. He hasn't planted a thing, but he still has a look. <laughs> what does he think's going to happen? Something's going to sprout by magic. Now, these wise sayings aren't formulas that hold true in all areas of life on all occasions, but they reflect on the general orderliness of God's world. And the wise sayings are there to encourage God's people to flourish and survive. We're invited to look into nature, for example, to see how the ant works and to reflect on how other species survive as well and think, then think about how we might get by and survive and flourish in God's good ordered world. In fact, the Proverbs depend on God's work first. God's work is the basis for our work. That's what we see from the very beginning. God's created a orderly world and he's described as a worker. This is where we turn to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the creation context for our work. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God works and then rests. He powerfully creates the cosmos like a king who speaks and then things happen. God said, let there be, you can fill in the blank, and then there was, and that, that refrain is repeated a few times. 
the point here is that God says it and that settles it. It just happens. We, re- we see also the repeated refrain, and God saw that it was good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then God rests on the seventh day from all the work of creating that he had done. We notice also that people have a place in God's creation plans. God invites the first people, Adam and Eve, to be ones who reign over his good creation. People are made in God's image, which we take to mean they're representatives of God on earth, to reign over the earth under God. They're created in God's image for relationship both with God and with each other. But their role also involves having dominion or reigning under God's kingship. They have the responsibility to fill the earth, subdue it and to reign over it. And this uh, responsibility that's given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 is also expanded upon further in chapter 2 when Adam's got the job to be a gardener. His role is restated as working and keeping the Garden of Eden. Adam's not pictured as somebody who's just swanning around, sleeping all day, occasionally getting up to pull down a bunch of bananas tear one off, peel it and eat it before he goes back to sleep again. That's just not the image of Adam. Somehow he's going to find a hot spring and sit in it and have a bit of a slumber. No, he's given a very positive role in Genesis chapter 2, 15. You can read that with me. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. These two terms have got a sense of cultivate and keep. But they come up later in the Bible. When they're included together, they can refer to serving and guarding. And this later sense of serving and guarding is actually the terms that are given to the Levites when they're serving in the temple. Their responsibility is to serve God, manage the affairs of the temple and to guard it and keep it. And so the role from the beginning in the garden to take care of it, to work it, to serve and to guard, this language reminds us of the very positive view of work from the beginning. Work from the beginning is not bad, it's not rotten, it's not something dreadful to be avoided, it's a good thing. Adam and Eve's role as gardeners has been described to not carry out a new act of creation, that's God's work alone, but instead they've got the responsibility of a new and imaginative reordering. That's flowery language, but it's a way of saying good work today, and even from the beginning, involves shaping the creation into useful things. Trees into houses, into timber tables and doors, wild plants into tended crops so that we can eat things like Aldran, Iron ore and carbon into steel so that we can have some power poles and washing machines. Work from the beginning is something that's good and involves a reordering of God's good creation. It's not a bad thing. Now, this is where I quote uh, Tremper Longman III, and he's got a son called Tremper Longman IV. Uh, Paradise is not without labour. But since difficulty was introduced into work because of Adam and Eve's sin, The original work must have been inherently fulfilling and productive. Hmm. 
deep waters. Uh, the point there is that the original work is fulfilling. It's, it's productive stuff. It's good. It's good stuff. Work and rest is God's good and positive intention for people from the beginning. This is actually uh, also called the, crea- the dominion mandate in, in other areas of theology. The idea that uh, we can actually uh, seek to carry out our role of um, looking after God's good creation. And yet things change after the fall, don't they? Uh, The first people reject the word of the Lord. They seek to be self-governing and they desire to be like God themselves instead of having God as God. And after that rebellion, we, we notice that God comes in judgment and life outside of Eden is much harder and working life is harder as well. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to, du- until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The ground is cursed, which I take it means it loses some of its fertility uh, that's with- withheld from people. Painful toil and futility in work have been characteristic of human existence ever since. And it's not just the the sheer load that goes with uh, trying to, I guess, create food. Uh, Some of the stress or some of the hardship in work can be between people as uh, trying to maintain balance in a working life balance. Paul rephrases this uh, state of affairs or this dilemma that humanity finds itself in in Romans chapter 8. In verse 18 to 21, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so there is hope beyond the current creation which has been subjected to decay and frustration. And Jesus, the risen one, is the one who's defeated evil and death. He's the one who will deliver us into God's kingdom at the end without frustration and decay. Something of this hope was actually foreshadowed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God pronounces judgment upon the serpent and describes a situation in the future. In Genesis 3, 15, we read, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so there is hope of a serpent crusher. Jesus ultimately dies but rises but satan is defeated and paul alludes to that in romans chapter 16 verse 20 he says the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of our lord jesus be with you which i take it is at the end 
although Satan has had a death blow, at the end he will be defeated altogether. Well, where does that leave us? That leaves us with some tension, doesn't it? We experience the tension in this age that comes from work. For on the one hand, although work is God's good intention for people, that can be uh, satisfying and, and, and good to put our hand to, on the other hand, the nature of work outside of Eden, work is complicated, frustrated, and it can be very hard. So what should our response be? Should we be altogether discouraged and give up? Perhaps take an escapist approach to work where we might just think of work as something that's meaningless as we seek to dodge it at all costs and look for the return of the Lord Jesus. Is that the encouragement from God's Word for people like us? Well, no it's not. There are some principles that God's work gives to us and we're in the second half of the sermon outline now. So we're up to principles for life and work. Principle number one, our labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 56 to 58. I'll read this out to us. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, because the law convicts us of sin. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Well, what is this idea of giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord that Paul was involved with is the same work of the Lord that he encourages Timothy in. Um, The work of God is bound up with faith. He encourages Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. This work of the Lord is different to Paul's work of making tents to help him get by. The work of the Lord is bound up with sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation, that salvation from sin is found in Christ. And it's the work that Paul and his fellow workers were supremely involved with. But he invites the Corinthian church to partner with them in this work of the Lord. And so in the very next uh, chapter, he talks to them about the collection. They're collecting money to help uh, those in the Jerusalem church, but this is all bound up with spreading the gospel. And so although Paul's involved in the work of the Lord, he's inviting the church to be partners with him in that work of the Lord as well. Now that work is not in vain for two reasons. One, because God knows our work and efforts to serve him. God knows and so it's not a waste of time. And the second reason it's not in vain is because as the gospel goes out and all kinds of people get right with God, that kind of work lasts into eternity. The second principle concerning work is that we, don't, we should just give up and be escapists. We should be thinking about sharing with those in need. So if you kindly turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, if, you, if you're reading on, Ephesians 4, 28 says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that they've moved to a new world, a new life, and the thief is now to have some different values. Stealing is to be out and work is to be in. And the fruit of that work can be shared with those in need. And so it's not so much that work in and of itself is a, is a, a, a wonderful thing in this fallen world, but the fruit of it can be a very good thing because there are many people in need and, and the fruit of work can be shared with those who need it. So that's the second principle, why we should work, so that we've got something to share with those in need. The third principle about work involves our witness and living well before outsiders. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul challenges the church to be mindful of their witness to those outside. I'll pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you may not be dependent on anybody. This idea of living well before outsiders has an impact. The outsiders are making judgments about the Christians and this is a way of winning their respect. A similar theme uh, comes up in the passage that Jacinta read to us earlier on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6-13, which deserves to be read once again. So I'm going to read it. Chapter 2, uh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are busy. They are not busy, rather. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. The news here is that if you don't earn your own food, you need to depend on somebody else. And if people have the opportunity to work to do so, uh, work can be hard to come by sometimes, but if they've got the opportunity to work, then they should pursue that so that they're not burdensome on others, which can also be unloving. Now, these principles could be coming under the broad banner of the topic of love 
in the first instance as we give ourselves to the work of the Lord, that is how we show some of our love for the Lord. That's one way we can show our love for the Lord. To be partners in gospel ministry is a different kind of work uh, to other aspects of work. But we can show our love for the Lord as we seek to be partners with him in that. The second thing is we can show our love to those who are in need by sharing the fruit of our work. And furthermore, we need to be those who uh, need to survive in any case. And so it's loving for us to, to pay our own way and also uh, to, to benefit uh, from the fruit of our work ourselves and to share with those in need. And finally, uh, we can love our non-Christian neighbours and show what God's done in our lives in the way that we do our work. And so how we do our work impacts uh, the world and we, sh- we show what we're like as the people of Jesus. Now, in these verses, did you notice there's nothing too sublime or profound about the kind of work that's being spoken about? Uh, The nature of work needs to be kept in right perspective. This age and the work that we do is passing away. But the central emphasis in the Bible is Jesus, that he comes as the one to deliver us from this age of frustration and to bring us into his kingdom at rest with him forever. That's something where we're encouraged to look forward to. But in this age, now is the time to serve the Lord in our work, whether it's paid or unpaid. And we can use the benefits or the fruit of our work for the benefits of other people. So now is the time when we can do, uh, or at least in this area of our lives, our working lives, that's an area that we can glorify God. Which is really what Paul teaches us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I'll close on this verse. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in our paid or unpaid work this week, let us seek to do it to the glory of God. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the fact that he comes to deliver us from this age of difficulties and frustrations but Lord we do pray now that we'd be involved in your work in partnership with uh, spreading the gospel message uh, in the places that you put us and and together and Lord we pray that um, we would be those who work for your glory help us to use the fruit of our work for those in need and help us to be mindful of the way that we do our work before the world as a witness to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We thank you for your guidance, which comes from your word, and we pray that you'd strengthen us uh, this week to come in our work. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.